the staggering size of Walmart kind of escapes people. It's the largest corporation in the world in terms of revenue. They have computers and they've got fake accounts and they basically turned in this whole system where they go in and just click on helpful once and then log into a different account and then click on helpful again and so on to where you can just pay for, for basically taking down your competitors. So what is the best video editing software in this video? I'm gonna share with you. You're looking for cheap video cameras. So what are the best ways to make money? In this video, I've got three of my favorites and we're gonna jump into that right now. Another day in paradise. My name is Sean Cannell and I make a living as a professional reviewer, especially on websites like amazon.com. And I do so on YouTube through my channel, Think Media. So let's jump into it right now. I live in Las Vegas with my beautiful wife, Sonia, our Chihuahua, Sophie, and our baby on the way. I made videos probably for around a year without getting any money at all. I remember my first Amazon affiliate commissions paycheck, which was back in 2010, and it was for $2.12. 10 years later, in April of 2020, we almost hit $40,000 in profit from just the Amazon Associates program, which was nearly $1 million in sales for Amazon. I really like to take my mornings to uh, study, to kind of do spiritual practice, and to do a couple laps in my neighborhood. Gotta stay fit, keep the mind sharp, and keep grinding. It's typically more flattering to go a little bit higher with the camera and angle down rather than go lower and shoot up. But why should you even care about my opinion when it comes to cameras? I guess, because I've been doing this forever, it seems. Back in 2003 is when I got started. I just started volunteering at my small church an hour north of Seattle in the youth ministry. And I started making weekly video announcements for the youth group. I took out a loan to buy a DSLR and buy some lenses. That also gave me the opportunity to start a YouTube channel called Think Media, where I started to talk about how to use the cameras I had just purchased. Recently hit a million subscribers on Think Media. Kind of crazy because I'm just a small town kid, college dropout. Started shooting videos in my bedroom. And now I'm actually still just in a bedroom here in Las Vegas. Really, you are doing the work of at least four to six to 10 people. And that's what it is now. We're like a team of 11. And now Think Media is actually multiple personalities and it's more of a brand with multiple content creators. But it certainly was built on my personality and me as the lead reviewer. From my lifestyle channel, Sean Thinks. Gonna be doing a review and kind of more of a tutorial on this Samson Q2U a super budget podcast mic. I'm gonna tell you a little bit about it just to hook you up with something cool. If you've never heard about the Amazon affiliate program before, to me, it's just a cool way to get a small commission when you share or recommend products that you love and use on the internet. In a way, you're a salesperson that's like, hey, welcome to the internet. You're thinking about making a purchase? Well, I've tried both of these. I recommend this one. If you wanna check it out, there's a link below. 
about to do a live stream in our YouTube Influence Facebook group. I'm actually gonna be unboxing the Q2U. This um, is the Q2U. It's prepare and get ready in the morning, shoot for a couple hours, edit all afternoon, get everything optimized and edit it and upload it to YouTube at night and then get up and do it again. All right, it's 3 p.m. Just got done with some meetings. Got done with that live stream where I was talking about that Samsung mic. But it's a little after three, just now getting to lunch. Super hungry, not entirely uncommon. And lunch is the time to catch up on your YouTube subscription feed. And now you're also just getting started. Answer the comments, share it on social, answer them then, come back hours later, answer them more. Email the brand back, promote, promote, promote. You can look up about YouTube creator burnout. And it's, it's massive, it's everywhere. When possible, I like to uh, take a couple skate breaks to get out of the office from sitting at the desk and just creating in meetings. I think having structure, having discipline, and focusing on your health in this career is important because I will say the demand is endless. There's always another video to make. There's always another product to review. There's always another brand to email. I pretty much work seven to seven, five days a week and plenty of weekends. I'm happy to grind 10 to 12, 14 hour days. Don't intimidate me at all. But I think it's all about rest and run. I pretty much check in on my Amazon earnings every single day. So yesterday on Amazon across all of our properties, we earned $1,411. What's up guys, Sean here with- So on average per week, we are posting probably around 10 videos across all of our brands. I just shoot a video for YouTube talking about the product. And in the video, I would say something like, and if you wanna check out this product or see more about this, there's a link in the YouTube description below. If someone goes to the YouTube description, clicks on that link, it takes them over to Amazon and then their behavior is tracked for 24 hours. If they do make a purchase within that 24 hours of anything on the website, even different than what I recommended, that is credited to you by the next day. Categories like luxury beauty can be as high as 10%. And then categories like groceries are like 1%. And our biggest category is photography and cameras. And that's 4%. Amazon by far is absolutely the biggest source of revenue for us. Again, April 2020, making nearly $40,000 in profit, which was a record month for us by far. Right in the middle of COVID-19, Amazon released an announcement that they were slashing commissions in a lot of categories. Amazon's demand was just shooting through the roof and they needed to manage that. And we saw 50 to 80% cuts in that percentage. Fortunately at Think Media, we saw our 4% in cameras stay locked in. And so we feel like we kind of dodged a bullet there but that's sort of the nature of this industry in general is a lot of these online things can change. You are your own boss, so it's all on you. And that's a pressure to carry that you can't just lean on your employer through good and bad times. It feels like, oh, cry me a river. You're a YouTube influencer with a seven figure business. How could you possibly have hard days? But the truth is we're all humans. I think my hardest days come from some of the messaging and response that can come from people on the internet. 
usually in the evening, I'll go into the comments section and answer lots of comments, as many as I can get to. I end up with constant inspiration and a list of what products and videos to review and create next. You feel accountable to your audience, accountable to brands, accountable to keeping up the momentum. There's no 401k built baked into this thing. There is no consistent paycheck if you stop and then try to spend five minutes with Sonia before I fall asleep with no energy left at night and then get up and do it again. One of the interesting things that comes up when reviewing products is what do you do if you talk about a product that's not good? Or what if a brand sends you something and you feel almost pressured to say good things about a product that maybe isn't great? We're not afraid of offending one brand and we care about our audience most of all. I mean, if the autofocus sucks on the camera, the autofocus sucks on the camera. It kind of has a hunting and general loss of focus. And at times, it sometimes just loses it completely and still wanders off even with the new firmware update. When we say best budget camera for YouTube, we mean it. I wanna scour the ends of the earth to find the best answer to the question. I think that the Mark II, to this day, is still a great camera to invest in. Amazon never sends me free products to review. The ways that I get the products are either, number one, I buy them and we buy a lot. Second way of getting products though, is getting products typically directly from the brands. So somebody like Rode Microphones might send us their latest new microphone, which also is sold on Amazon. So Amazon gives us a monetization platform where Rode wins by getting awareness of their product. I'm grateful that we have a new shotgun microphone, but also I have a pathway of monetization because where people are gonna buy that product is probably Amazon, the everything store. And what the FTC expects is that you are just transparent about the brand relationship. A lot of times, we get review units that we send back. At other times, the brands will just send us out a free unit that we just get to keep. And we also have at times passed the gear along uh, in giveaways or given it away. We are giving away a Canon M50 camera. A when it comes to getting approved for the Amazon Associates program, it actually can be a frustrating process for some because it's not gonna happen instantly. You wanna wait until you have a little bit of momentum and a little bit of influence before you apply. You've got some subscribers going, you're uploading at least a video a week. Therefore, when you apply, you actually get some traffic on your links, lock in your approval to the program and start generating sales every month. The allure of fame or the allure of just endless pursuit of, of growth and views and more can be toxic, frankly. And so staying grounded in what you're doing it for, why you're doing it, and then being really reasonable and wise, I think, in your time management, life management in the process, that's the journey I'm hoping to stay on every single night. I, I go to bed and I'm like, I'm grateful, I'm thankful, and I can't wait for tomorrow. Whoo, 8.35, man, it's been a day. So many meetings, Zoom calls, videos, live streams, but the to-do list and the things that weren't checked off will have to wait until tomorrow. Until then, it's lights out. Peace. When Amazon started selling more than just books in the late 1990s, it suddenly entered into a rivalry with the biggest name in retail. 
Always low prices, always Walmart. Walmart has been at the helm of American shopping for 58 years. It employs more people than any other company in the world, and 90% of Americans live within 10 miles of one of Walmart's more than 4,700 U.S. stores. The staggering size of Walmart kind of escapes people. It's the largest corporation in the world in terms of revenue. Yet when it comes to e-commerce, Amazon is the clear leader, with 38.7% of the market share compared to Walmart's 5.3%. And with the global pandemic shifting shoppers' behavior for good, dominance in online shopping is now paramount. So if you're that second site, you got to be really good. You don't have to be as good as Amazon because no one will get there. That's utopia. In perhaps its clearest competitive move against Amazon to date, Walmart is now launching Walmart Plus. The membership program is meant to rival Amazon Prime, offering benefits that can't be replicated online. These guys are toe-to-toe, and nobody wants to stop swinging. Nobody wants to back down. You know, the consumer is ultimately the beneficiary, clearly. Here's a look at how Walmart Plus compares to Amazon Prime and all the other ways Walmart is trying to catch up as the pandemic makes online shopping an increasingly crucial part of doing business. Walmart has been working behind the scenes since at least 2018 to create a competitor to Amazon Prime. From our data study, we found that two-thirds of people that already joined are in a premium loyalty program would join another one. Although the landing page says Walmart Plus is coming soon, the pandemic delayed its planned release in the spring. Walmart's stock surged 7% when it looked like it would launch in July, but that didn't happen either. When Walmart Plus is available, members will likely pay $98 for benefits like unlimited same-day delivery on groceries from the 1,600 of its 4,700-plus stores that do grocery delivery now. When we did our data study, 81% of the consumers joined Amazon Prime because of faster free shipping. Only 2% joined because of grocery delivery. So I think it's a real opportunity to leverage what they already have in groceries and maybe what Prime doesn't. And just this week, Walmart announced a partnership with Instacart, testing out same-day grocery delivery in four markets across California and Oklahoma. Other perks are rumored to include early access to sale events, discounts at gas stations outside of Walmart's and Walmart-owned Sam's Club stores, and reserved parking spots in store lots. As you think about Prime, 150 million, why would you go head-to-head with that? If you take a unique approach, which it sounds like Walmart is doing, you might be able to get a lot of those customers. Amazon launched Prime for $79 a year in 2005, at a time when Walmart's profits were greater than all of Amazon's revenue. If you look back at 2005, Prime had one benefit, fast and free shipping, two-day shipping, which was like unheard of. 15 years later, some 150 million Prime members pay $119 a year for one-day shipping on more than 10 million items with no minimum purchase amount, same-day shipping on some 3 million items, two-hour grocery delivery in 2,000-plus cities, deals and sales events like Prime Day, and access to Amazon's entertainment branch, Prime Video, Amazon Music, Prime Reading, Prime Gaming, and Amazon Photos. It's a pretty compelling value proposition, and that's what anyone will have to deal with if they want to try to compete with Prime. Walmart doesn't have any entertainment offerings of its own now that it sold Vudu in April. Prime members make up about 65% of Amazon's customers, and the program has a 95% renewal rate after two years. Walmart started chasing this type of loyal customer in May 2019 by offering free next-day delivery on orders over $35, less than a month after Amazon announced its default one-day shipping. With Walmart Plus, all orders will default to free one-day shipping, just like Prime. Despite the launch of Walmart Plus and free fast shipping, Walmart still lacks one big thing that Amazon has, sheer volume of inventory. 
Walmart.com has about 50,000 vendors selling items online, while Amazon has 8.7 million. That's why in 2016, Walmart bought discount online retailer Jet.com for $3.3 billion. The acquisition brought relationships with a slew of brands that were already comfortable selling on Jet.com. They are on track to more than quadruple their um, online business since they acquired Jet. It was an uh-oh moment for every other brick-and-mortar retailer because now the biggest brick-and-mortar guy is now you know, moving heavily online. E-commerce is a scale game, and you want to get as much leverage as you can on your fixed infrastructure. And as you get bigger, cost of goods goes down, and you get more leverage. Mark Laurie spent two years at Amazon before breaking off to start Jet.com, working to undercut prices from the e-commerce megastores. Walmart's purchase of Jet.com was the big move that brought it into the big leagues of online shopping. When the deal was made in 2016, Laurie signed a five-year contract to run Walmart's e-commerce division. I'm so excited to be at Walmart, having a lot of fun. We're going to keep talking to you because okay. I think that you're the most inventive man in retail today. Walmart shut down Jet.com in May, but it had already brought an entirely new branch of online sellers onto its marketplace. Walmart CEO Doug McMillan says he would buy it all over again. If you look at the trajectory of our business, it changed when we made that acquisition. And we've been able to attract brands to Walmart.com, Swell, Ray-Ban, and Champion. Historically, Walmart.com didn't sell things from third-party vendors. But since the Jet.com acquisition, the number of products sold on Walmart.com has grown up to 10 times higher, and the number of sellers on its site doubled just in the last year. So they started attracting more brands. They retooled their website to be uh, more streamlined and more intuitive, uh, more user-friendly. And last year, Walmart partnered with Advance Auto Parts. Walmart was not going to be a 100,000 SKU auto parts retailer on its own. They get that with Advance Auto. This is probably the largest third-party relationship that any online retailer has with a brick-and-mortar retailer. And in an effort to reach a new type of customer, Lori spearheaded the purchase of several specialty apparel companies like Bonobos, ModCloth, and Eloquy, although some have been sold again since. A big portion of Walmart store customers are lower uh, to middle income. I think what they tried to do here and through the Jet.com brand was to continue to go up market and go for more profitable customers, uh, urban millennials. And then they also introduced the service Jet Black, which is an upscale personal shopping service. For a large fee, Jet Black allowed New York Walmart customers to text orders to personal shoppers for home delivery. But Walmart shut it down in February after it only saw about 600 active members. If we think about the dynamics of the very, very affluent and wealthy today, I don't know if Walmart is necessarily the company to be housing a brand like that. But in June, Walmart pivoted again, announcing a major partnership with Shopify. Often referred to as the king of mom-and-pop retailers, Shopify helps more than 1.4 million small businesses run their online stores. Now these small businesses have a channel to try selling on Walmart.com. For now, Walmart says it's adding 1,200 of Shopify's top merchants to its site in 2020. Walmart wants a curated assortment on the website. I mean, Amazon has a very wide-ranging third-party business, and with that comes some risk. The partnership with Shopify is really important. I think it's very strategic, and I do think it is an attempt to pull away those third-party sellers uh, on Amazon. There's been kind of a, a lot of tension between third-party sellers and Amazon. On July 29th, Jeff Bezos testified before Congress for the first time in Amazon's 26-year history, partly in response to questions about reported use of third-party seller data to develop Amazon's own competing products. 
The House Judiciary Committee is investigating whether Amazon, along with Apple, Facebook, and Google, need to be governed by stricter antitrust laws. Why should a third-party seller list their product on Amazon if they're just going to be undercut by Amazon's own, pro- own product as a result of data you take from them? I think what, what I want you to understand, and I think it's important to understand, is that we have a policy against uh, using sp- individual seller data to compete with our private label products. You couldn't assure Ms. Jayapal that that policy isn't violated routinely. While Amazon is battling to keep the trust of its third-party sellers, Walmart still has a long way to go if it wants to catch up with the millions of third-party sellers that make up more than half of Amazon's sales. The Walmart marketplace is a lot smaller, so you could be quote-unquote crushing it on page one on Walmart and you're still not getting that many sales. Still, Walmart has one big, long-standing advantage over Amazon. It's 11,500 global stores. If you're a third-party seller, like if you can get into brick-and-mortar Walmart, you're going to crush whatever sales on Amazon you're doing. For sellers choosing where to reach customers, stores are a big bonus and much more scalable. So this diet pill uh, company I worked at, um, uh, they had 30 different products that we were selling on Amazon. I launched a whole bunch of them. We brought their sales from 1 million to 3 million. And I thought that was like the greatest thing in the world, but that was nothing because I would see purchase orders come across my desk for the Walmart brick and mortar side for the Walmart stores. They would be like $2 million just for like one region of the United States. Walmart stores also help keep down its costs in the most expensive area of online retail, shipping. If you can leverage those stores as your fulfillment centers, meaning if I'm going to purchase something and I'm in the Philadelphia area, have it come from the store that's three blocks from my house as opposed to Virginia, um, you know, price points go down and speed goes up. Amazon has been spending wildly to try and control the expensive shipping process. But its 175 fulfillment centers and own network of planes, trucks, and contracted delivery drivers don't come close to the reach of Walmart's 4,700 stores that allow its trucks and drivers to travel a fraction of the distance. Walmart had the advantage of getting product from distribution center to the store, and then the consumer handles the last mile for a lot of it. Walmart uses its stores as distribution centers for products, but also has its own dedicated network of warehouses without a front-facing store. Walmart remains dominant in another sector that's largely dependent on brick-and-mortar stores, groceries. We're not very densely populated, uh, and so it's hard to service in an e-commerce model grocery. So what that means is that Amazon is really at a little bit of a disadvantage relative to Walmart. They have stores within 90% of the population in the United States. Grocery sales account for more than half of Walmart's U.S. revenue, making Walmart the nation's biggest grocer. Walmart's been selling groceries directly to customers since the 80s, and the online sale of groceries is now boosting Walmart's overall online sales. The percentage of all U.S. grocery sales happening online is set to double from 20% in 2019 to 35 to 40% this year and next. You find your grocery vendor and you tend to stick with them. You also get a treasure trove of data from grocery customers about their preferences. And you can use that data, and I believe Walmart will use that data to sell them other things. I think that Walmart is going to win in this grocery battle versus Amazon. When Amazon bought Whole Foods for $13.7 billion in 2017, it was a clear move to compete with Walmart. But with roughly 475 stores, Whole Foods has about a tenth of the locations as Walmart does in the U.S. You cannot find a tougher brick-and-mortar segment to get into than food. You've got to manage a million vendors, produce is hard, meat's tough, and they, they chose to get into that business. They're still learning. 
Then in 2019, a month after Amazon announced free two-hour grocery delivery for Prime members in 2,000 regions, Walmart announced a membership program offering unlimited grocery deliveries from 1,400 stores. It costs $12.95 a month, or the same $98 annual fee of the new Walmart Plus membership. Or for an extra $7 a month, Walmart will deliver groceries straight into your fridge in a handful of cities. Digital grocery is the next big battleground in e-commerce. It's a $1 trillion retail category that is today the least penetrated category online. So as it continues to grow at outsized rates, there are tens of billions of dollars at play. In one survey before the pandemic, about 39% of U.S. consumers reported having shopped online for groceries at least once. By May, that number was nearly 80%. But how many people are going to go back to conventional shopping? Or how many people are going to stay with buying their staples online because they can? While the pandemic boosted the importance of fast grocery delivery, Walmart has an even faster, more cost-effective option, curbside pickup. You pull up, they put it in the car, and you're gone. That's a big weapon. While this is an option at Whole Foods stores, customers need to wait for regular Amazon.com purchases to be delivered. In July, Prosper Analytics found that 62% of adults are shopping in stores less. So as the pandemic pushes so many online for their shopping, Walmart's name recognition with older shoppers is also a plus. My parents, as an example, they're not uh, the most robust online shoppers, but when this pandemic hit, like they had no choice. But they've been to a Walmart before. When forced to purchase things online, you're going to go with who you know and who you trust. Walmart hired 200,000 employees during the pandemic to help clean stores and keep items in stock. It's giving a third round of bonuses to hourly employees working during the pandemic for a total of $1.1 billion in bonuses this year, while facing backlash for sick and dying workers. Now, for the first time in 30 years, Walmart will be closed on Thanksgiving Day. It's also cutting some corporate roles as it merges its online and store businesses. Amazon, meanwhile, postponed its annual Prime Day event that usually sets sales records in July. It offered one-time bonuses to frontline workers, totaling $500 million, and gave workers a $2 per hour raise from March to May. It hired 175,000 workers to keep up with demand during the pandemic, but faced backlash for keeping all its warehouses operational despite worker deaths. Still, in the second quarter of 2020, Amazon's first-party sales were up 48% year-over-year, with third-party sales up 52%. Walmart's online sales rose 74% in the first quarter of 2020. I mean, you could argue during the pandemic that Walmart's, Walmart's taken a bit of a lead because they haven't publicly had the delivery delays, the product-to-the-consumer delays that Amazon has had. When I began reporting on the pandemic in March, I discovered that Amazon was actually trying to get shoppers to buy less. Fewer non-essential orders meant they could focus on shipping things like hand sanitizer and masks to hospitals and state agencies. That's when I decided to give Walmart a try. My last order on Amazon was back in February, which was before they had a lot of those shipping delays that were caused by supply chain issues and such a big surge in demand. When I stayed home, I decided to get my groceries from Walmart and they usually came the same day or the next day. When I ordered other items on walmart.com, they always arrived within the delivery window and I never had any delays. In San Francisco, sometimes they even came the next day. They still don't come anywhere close to Amazon when it comes to the selection of items that you can get through online and get to your house within one or two days. So I think right now, Walmart and Amazon are locked in a steel cage deathmatch to become the country's everything store. So what does Walmart have planned as it continues trying to catch Amazon in e-commerce? 
For example, Walmart launched its own voice assistant called Ask Sam in July for employees to use to help shoppers find products and prices in stores. They're trying to find ways to use those physical stores in new ways, not just distribution, but also, you know, they're talking about medical and financial and uh, edge computing and all of these other things that really leverage the stores. For now, the launch of Walmart Plus has analysts hopeful that one day it could at least provide a second option for Amazon customers to turn to. Amazon has set a very high bar, but they've also given people the playbook to, to kind of follow. And then once you figure out how to integrate online into your stores, there's immense profitability as well for the brick and mortar guys. From counterfeit goods to fake N95 masks, price gouging to disappearing orders, shoppers on Amazon have a growing need to proceed with caution before clicking buy now. Since Amazon's early days, reviews are the one big metric customers rely on to determine the quality and authenticity of a product. Turns out many of those reviews can't be trusted. The review system as of today is broken. Before the pandemic, the, the usual uh, benchmark around our average fake reviews was 30%. The norm has now become close to 35%, 40%. In recent years, thousands of fake reviews have flooded Amazon and Walmart, eBay, and others, just as sales numbers have skyrocketed. And as shoppers stay home, online orders are up 57% since the same time last year, and the number of reviews is up 76%. There's an element where you simply want to trust those stars and you want to trust the numbers, because if you can't trust that, how do you know what you're buying? From Facebook groups where bad actors solicit paid positive reviews to bots and click farms that upvote negative reviews to take out the competition, fake reviews have boosted sales of unsafe products, caused huge brands to sever ties with Amazon and hurt business for legitimate sellers. We can't compete. We can't surface our products that are new and innovative and truly valuable to consumers because other products that aren't so great are playing this game of review manipulation. We decided to find out why fake reviews have infiltrated Amazon, how customers can spot an unreliable review, and what the trillion dollar company and others are doing to stop them. One big draw over competitors like Walmart, Target, and eBay is that Amazon's listings often have hundreds or even thousands of reviews instead of just a handful. It's so easy, no matter what site you're on, to simply say the most reviews with the most stars means the most level of happiness. It's just simply not the case. If those Amazon customers aren't really customers, or if they're an organization of paid individuals who just sit there and go five star, five star, five star, that doesn't really tell me anything meaningful about the product. Review software company Bizarre Voice did a study of 10,000 consumers at the end of last year. 42% of consumers are saying that, uh, that fake reviews from the brand itself would cause them to lose trust. 82% of those consumers are saying that would cause them to never buy that brand again. The problem is fake and real reviews are getting harder to tell apart. When you have no reason to think it's fake review, that's when the consumer is in the most danger. And as shoppers increasingly turn online for things they'd normally want to shop for in person, like the nursing bras made by Simple Wishes, there's a higher chance of serious repercussions from the purchase of a counterfeit or low-quality product. And if the product's Amazon page is filled with fake positive reviews, shoppers won't know to steer clear. 
we see reviews of people saying that their breast tissue was torn and irritated and bleeding because of irritating seams. And, you know, we see things like this or like this product broke or it tore after I wore it three times. You see those real reviews surface and then all of a sudden they'll just be massive positive reviews. A high rating can also trigger the coveted Amazon's Choice Badge, although Amazon did say it will delete the badge if a product isn't adhering to policy. Amazon prohibits any attempt to manipulate reviews and told CNBC it will suspend, ban, and take legal action against those who violate these policies. For any review, even the most genuine, it always is worth asking why is someone writing that review? What is the incentive to write that review? Free products and payment are increasingly common incentives. Sellers solicit pay-for-play reviews through popular Twitter accounts and Facebook groups with thousands of members. So I joined some of these groups just to kind of poke around. And the first groups I joined, there were five different postings from our competitor asking for a review. I felt like I just struck gold finding <laughs> my competitor there, reported it to Amazon, and nothing happened. UCLA and USC released a study in July that found more than 20 fake review-related Facebook groups with an average of 16,000 members. In more than 560 postings each day, sellers offered a refund or payment for a positive review, usually around $6. Amazon told CNBC it works with social media sites to report bad actors who are cultivating abusive reviews outside our store, and we've sued thousands of bad actors for attempting to abuse our reviews systems. The FTC requires reviewers to disclose any payment or connection to the product being reviewed. On some sites like Fiverr and Freelancer, users get around this by advertising marketing services, a thinly veiled reference to pay-for-play reviews. There's also the more direct approach, where sellers include a note inside a package asking for a review in exchange for a discount or other compensation. It's hard to keep on top of 5 million sellers and 600 million products. There's always a few bad seeds in the mix, and it's the bad seeds that get the attention. It's not that Amazon's sitting back doing nothing, it's that the scope of what we're dealing with is so vast. There are legitimate paid reviewer programs like Amazon Vine, Early Reviewer, and Amazon Associates, which require reviewers to disclose that they've received a product for free in exchange for what's supposed to be an honest review. But Amazon has little way to detect a compensated review when deals are made outside these programs. There's a Velcro panel in the back so you can constantly reset the size and it's always the proper support. Sisters Joy Kosak and Deborah Abbasade designed a new type of hands-free pumping bra and started selling it on Amazon in 2009, where sales took off quickly. But for the past three years, sales have been flat, dropping off after Amazon started to openly court Chinese sellers to join its marketplace. Cheaper bras with an exceptionally similar design to theirs started popping up, getting hundreds of five-star ratings seemingly overnight. When that happened, we saw a pretty immediate race to the bottom in terms of pricing. The sisters have been tracking review activity on listings from competitors like MomCozy and sharing the data with Amazon. Our bestseller, where we used to be um, number 25 in baby, we, over the past 10 years of being on Amazon, we have collected a little more than 10,000 reviews. It took them a couple of months yeah. to, to increase by 4,000. Big brands like Nike and Birkenstock have been so burned by competitors selling knockoffs with thousands of five-star reviews that they stopped selling on Amazon altogether. Although Nike's landing page still appears active on Amazon, the items there are being sold by third-party sellers. They're fake. They're counterfeit. They're either bought from you know Alibaba or eBay, and then they're resold on Amazon. So a lot of these sellers are actually ruining Nike's reputation, and they're putting in 
all the reviews into the official listing for Nike. At times, big brands themselves are soliciting fake reviews. Last year, for example, skincare brand Sunday Riley settled with the FTC after it was caught encouraging employees to post fake reviews on Sephora.com. On Amazon, if you're not doing some sort of, you know, tricky technique, it's at least 100 orders for each review that you get. Bernie Thompson sells about 120 consumer electronics products on Amazon from his warehouse outside Seattle. Competitors have tried to undermine his sales with fake review tactics. We've had people take our most negative review, the one that's most embarrassing, and we've had competitors vote up those negative reviews. So say your competitor has a one-star review on the first page, you can buy 100 helpful votes. When they're considered most helpful, they show up at the top of the results, and so you can really harm your competitors by doing that. That helpful box can easily be clicked by bots instead of humans, or by click farms overseas. The ones that I've been contacted are all in Bangladesh, India, uh, I think one was in Vietnam. They have computers and they've got fake accounts and they basically turned in this whole um, system where they go in and just click on helpful once and then log into a different account and then click on helpful again and so on to where you can just pay for, for basically taking down your competitors. Bots are also getting better at generating convincing written reviews. We actually see a lot of these fake review farms leveraging open source projects from these behemoths such as Google, OpenAI, multi-billion dollar research firms, and leveraging it to produce fraud. And by this case, we're producing human-like text that looks like really realistic. Amazon's own algorithms do usually detect these patterns and remove them within weeks. Amazon says, we're going to wait 30 days and if we detect that there's enough fake reviews, we'll pull back those fake reviews. The problem is during that 30-day policing period, the product can generate a whole lot of sales that it didn't otherwise deserve. In 2019, Amazon changed its review system so customers can leave a simple star rating with one click instead of a full written review. This tool that Amazon put out there to make it easier for consumers to give real feedback has actually made it easier for the scammers to yeah. elevate their star rating, just the volume, because now all they have to do is say, all you have to do is click a button. No one can tell who left the rating. You will not see those ratings as a list of authors on the bottom of the page. And we see products with thousands of ratings that have no body and text body attached to them. While a rating can only be left by someone who bought the product, Amazon allows reviews from anyone, even if they haven't made a purchase. We see certain categories have over 90% of the reviews on the product are unverified. And when you look at them, it just looks like a flood of bot reviews. What Amazon does is they give different weights to different kinds of reviews. And so a verified purchase review will have more of a weight than someone who wasn't verified. But the intention is that you could have bought it at Walmart and want to review it. You could have bought it somewhere else and want to review it. And then there's a slew of new tricks popping up from bogus seller accounts to mysterious free Amazon packages appearing on people's doorsteps. In one tactic, known as review hijacking, a seller takes over a once popular listing. So you'd have these crazy situations where, you know, our product was a USB hub, but we had to discontinue it. And somebody selling, like, women's eyelashes would take over that product, change the picture to women's eyelashes, change all the text. The reviews would show these 2,000 positive reviews, but if you'd read the reviews, they're not about eyelashes, they're about a USB hub. Another recent tactic involves seed packets from China showing up at hundreds of people's houses who don't know where they came from. The Better Business Bureau warns that the scam, often called brushing, means the seller is using the seeds to generate fake Amazon orders tied to U.S. addresses. Then they can write fake verified reviews about themselves, falsely inflating their seller rating. 
Then there's Sock Puppet Reviews, which are bogus accounts created by a seller to write positive reviews on their own products. Sellers can also hack into a customer's Amazon account and post a positive review from there without the customer ever knowing. And they're all new products that are getting reviews at an amazing rate that's just not, it's not believable. With so many ways to create realistic fake reviews, some startups have developed ways to detect them. FakeSpot is one of these. FakeSpot launched a new Chrome plugin in May that has a quarter million downloads so far. It analyzes the credibility of a listing's reviews and gives it a grade from A to F. The FakeSpot Guard will actually catch these sellers dynamically as you're browsing uh, Amazon, and we will offer you an alternative seller that is authentic and genuine that we've seen before that has high customer satisfaction. Other online tools that customers can use to check the credibility of Amazon reviews include Recon Bob, Review Meta, The Review Index, and Review Skeptic. Shoppers willing to spend time to vet their purchases can manually spot fake reviews too. The number one way consumers tell us they identify a fake review are multiple reviews with the same language in them. So they're basically looking for patterns in the reviews. The second most important way is reviews that are not actually about the product. The third is poor grammar and misspellings. And the fourth, and I actually think this is one of the more important ones, is overwhelming number of five-star positive reviews. If a product only has you know, two or three reviews that it's gathered over a long period of time, and those two or three reviews look pretty good, consumers actually need to give kind of more trust to a product like that. Clearly, that brand and that manufacturer, they're not gaming anything. If you do spot a fake review, Amazon encourages customers to use the report button next to each review. But whether Amazon will take any action after fake reviews are reported is a different question. We go down these rabbit holes that take a lot of time to look for this information, and then we share it with Amazon and nothing happens, and it's just exhausting. After CNBC brought Simple Wishes complaints to Amazon, months after it was first informed of the illegitimate reviews, Amazon said we've taken appropriate action on these accounts. Amazon told CNBC it uses powerful machine learning tools and skilled investigators to analyze over 10 million review submissions weekly, aiming to stop abusive reviews before they're ever published. Getting Amazon to actually do investigations, quite frankly, they don't have enough investigators to do all the possible investigations needed. When I was at Amazon, there was a time when Amazon had about 20 investigators for the whole United States. There was over a million sellers on Amazon at the time, and there were 20 investigators. In an unprecedented move, Amazon hosted a virtual conference earlier this month to give tips and listen to concerns from its third-party sellers, who make up 58% of Amazon's e-commerce business. When it comes to outside regulation, fake reviews are prohibited by the FTC, but it's a complex issue. Where you can leave a review and you receive some kind of compensation, you need to put in a disclaimer, and that's consumer law. That's, that's, uh, that's been around for a while. But there are different ways that this is now being gamed. There is no law attached to ratings where you can leave them without text. Target and Walmart, they are, they are held to a higher standard. They have to vet products that they put on their shelves or on, through their e-commerce platform because they are liable. And that's the, the huge difference here. Unless Amazon is purchasing the product from a seller as a wholesale purchaser and they are representing as the seller, they have zero liability, um, and, and that's frightening. Last year, for the first time, the FTC prosecuted a company for fake reviews on Amazon. The inflated reviews were for a weight loss supplement that's made with a plant that can cause acute liver failure. You can already see the FTC becoming more interested in reviews. They treat reviews as a form of advertising because of the influence that it has on us as shoppers. 
Now, Amazon supports a California assembly bill that would subject online marketplaces to the same product liability requirements as brick-and-mortar retailers, despite years of Amazon successfully fighting lawsuits against such rulings. If passed, it could incentivize Amazon and others to better police fake reviews. Amazon owns the keys to that data, and they, they can do it. I know they can. As Amazon continues to help people stay safely at home, the need for shoppers to trust the reviews and order with confidence has never been higher. It's really almost a societal level issue of, you know, can Amazon kind of keep control of its systems and live up to the dependency that we, we have on them? And I think that, you know, honestly, they've been growing so fast that they've been struggling with it. On one hand, Amazon is getting better about policing. On the other hand, it's a cat and mouse game, you know, that probably will never end. Mm -hmm.